0: Listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damascotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. And we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28. And this is a tremendously encouraging passage to us, and we need to do a little bit of work. We're gonna have to kind of go back a little bit at times and kind of review where we've been the past couple weeks, uh, specifically in chapter nine. If you remember the first 10 verses of chapter 9, there was a lot of talk about the temple and the priesthood and what the priest did and all those things. And and I argue that that was to show that God wants to draw people to himself. He wants people to be in his presence in the the tabernacle system. And the priesthood was kind of showing that, but it was so limited, right? And it was only the the high priest that could go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year. And so there's this idea that God is a relational God and he wants wants people to be with him and and be in fellowship with him. And then last week we looked at how Jesus is superior to the Levitical priesthood and his sacrifice is superior to any Levitical priesthood sacrifice that had ever been done and that he is the mediator of a better covenant. And the covenant was inaugurated with his own blood that he shed on the cross to cover our sin and to pay for our sin. And so now we get to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28, and there's kind of this, this crescendo uh, of, just, of just God's faithfulness and His goodness to us in and through His Son, and the fact that the covenant that we are under, the new covenant, is far superior to anything that has ever been. And so the author of Hebrews writes these words. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered into the holy places, not made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. "...nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he, Jesus, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself." And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the chance that we have, the opportunity that you've given us to gather here Lord, to spend time in, in fellowship. Lord, but to spend time in, in worship. Lord, to, to, to sing songs to you, to sing praises to you, to, to offer up our prayers to you. Lord, and we are so thankful that you are a God who, who hears, that you are a God who, who, who knows our thoughts and, and, and wants to hear from us. Lord, so it's my prayer that those times have been pleasing and honoring to you. And the so Lord, now as we spend time in your words, Lord, may we just get to know you better. Lord, may we walk out of here with a profound sense of your glory, with a profound sense of your goodness. But that we would see you for who you are. Lord, that we would see the blessings and the grace that you have lavished upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Lord, give us hearts to be quickened to your goodness and to your beauty. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So this is a, like I said, this is like a crescendo almost in the book of Hebrews. And it talks about the superior new covenants. And in verse 23, the author says, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. And so he's pulling now back. We have to go back to last week and think about right, what the author had told us. Right, That in verse 18, therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And now Moses met with the people of Israel. He read the commands and the words of God to the people of Israel. And then he took blood and he dipped the, the, scar, he dipped the scroll in the blood and he sprinkled the blood on the people. And the people said, hey, we will follow this covenant. And this is a covenant that God had put in place for his people. And that in the same way Moses sprinkled with blood both the tent, the tabernacle and the vessels that were used in worship. And so the author, he was just saying, those things, those, right, those actions were all necessary. They were mandatory. They were essential to happen because it was dealing with the holiness of God. God's word is holy. God's people are called to be holy. And even those, those copies, even the, the tabernacle itself, the altar that stood in the courtyards, the basin that the, the priests would wash themselves in, the table that held the bread of presence, the lampstands, the altar on which the, the incense was burned, and the Ark of the Covenant, all those items had to be purified with blood because they were used in the worship of their holy gods. But we know that it was all ritual. It was all external. It was removing contamination, if you will, to make them acceptable But the point here, right, that we know is that there's something greater. There's a greater purification that needed to happen and that those those copies, the altar and the table and the tabernacle and the lamps and all those things pointed to something greater, something more significant. And so the author of Hebrews tells us, but the heavenly things themselves, right, and that is very emphatic language. That is language that would have caused the people to hear that to kind of sit up a little bit more. Something is different. There's there's better sacrifices that were needed. The heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. And so what are these, these heavenly things themselves? right What are these heavenly things? So we stop and we think, it's like, okay, it's not, it's not the copies. It's not the pattern. It's the heavenly things themselves. Well, God resides in heaven. God is perfectly holy. He doesn't need purification. Like, he is purification. So what are these heavenly things? Right? It's, I believe it's It's us. Right? It, it's the people of God. It's the people of God who were destined to to worship there, who are destined to to worship their God. It's the people of God who are going to one day be in His presence. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two verse twenty two that we will be a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit, so we need an inward claim. This is pointing to something greater. We are all temples of the Holy Spirit. He indwells within us. And so we need purification. We need it. And it's not a copy, it's 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 us. And we need it. We need that purification. Peter says in First Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten: but you are a chosen race. purification. We needed purification, and God accomplished that through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus purified the heavenly things. We are His people. We are destined to worship Him. We will one day be in His presence. What a tremendous, tremendous thought. What a tremendous, tremendous Idea, what a tremendous tremendous truth that we have with our God and with our Savior Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews now begins in verses 24 through 26 to unpack this, and he talks now about the work of Christ to remove sin, to remove sin forever. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. So Jesus didn't go into the tabernacle to sacrifice himself. He went somewhere else to sacrifice himself. But he went into, the author says, into heaven. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it for him to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so there's something that happened in the past. Verse 24 that he entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He entered heaven in the presence of God for our behalf. If that doesn't speak to the superior nature of Christ's sacrifice, I don't know what else does. The tabernacle and the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices were just a foreshadowing of something greater, a spiritual and heavenly place where Christ resides, where he sits exalted at the right hand of the Father, it being our representative with God, mediating for us between God and, and man. He's the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus didn't go where God would appear to his people. Jesus went to where God lives, where he resides. It's so much truer than the the earthly copy of the tabernacle. Jesus entered the superior place by a superior sacrifice and to remove sin once and for all for all those who would believe he accomplished that work on the cross. And the Father accepted that sacrifice, and now he's exalted at the right hand of the Father. That's why back in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we read these words, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. That that's happened. But it is happening. And then there's something that's taking place now in the present. Because Jesus did not offer himself repeatedly, the author of Hebrews tells us, like the high priest on the day of atonement would enter into the Holy of Holies, Every year with the blood that was not his own. Right? Because if Jesus had to go in and, and, and sacrifice, he goes on in verse, uh, verse 25, then he would have had to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Right? Jesus offered himself once. There was no need for repetition There was no need for him to offer himself again. He's the superior sacrifice. There's no need for him to be like the Levitical priest, the high priest who would go in on the Day of Atonement with the blood of animals, right? And it would enter in, and the people would be standing there waiting on pins and needles to say, is he going to actually make it back out of the Holy of Holies? Because if he doesn't, we're in trouble, because that means something happened with his sacrifice for our sins and we're, we're now in trouble because he didn't make it out. But that's not what Jesus did. He went in and he paid and he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. He didn't have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that if, if he had to, Right, that means from the beginning of mankind, from, from Genesis chapter 3, from the time of Adam, Jesus would have to die continuously for the sins of the people. That his atoning work would never, ever be finished because he would have to continually be dying and sacrificing himself from Genesis chapter 3 forwards. But he... Rep- Appeared once and for all to remove sin by his sacrifice. Now, that word appeared in verse 26 is in the perfect tense. And what that means is that there's something that happened in the past that continues to have effect into the present. And so he appeared. And is appearing, right? Once and for all, at the end of the age, to put away sin. It's happened, but the effect still measures out today. Right? So he appears, and he, in a sense, continues to appear. Right, Jesus continues to speak. Jesus continues to reveal himself. Remember when we first started this series, Jesus is God's final and superior revelation to himself. Think about how the book of Hebrews starts. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. You need to look no further than Jesus. He's spoken, he's appeared, and he continues. And we need this Jesus each and every day of our lives. That's why we never graduate from the gospel. We need it each and every day of our lives. And so the author is saying he's, he's sufficient, He he stands superior over everything. He's he's all that you need. It's singular. It's it's, it's Jesus and only Jesus. And his, his sacrifice has been profoundly effective to the point where you don't need anything else but Jesus. And he did this at the end of the age and so what, what, does this, what does that mean at the end of the age? And this is the kind of the, this, this climactic moment, if you will, in redemptive history. In God's plan of redemption, right, Jesus appears. The Son of God comes to earth in human form and takes on human flesh. He lives on this earth perfectly Sinlessly to perfection and perfect obedience to the will of God. And he willingly gives up his life to pay for sin. He willingly gives up his life and takes the wrath on the wrath of God for our sin. And God accepts that sacrifice because he raises him from the dead. And he is exalted. He is taken up into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God the father so jesus marks the arrival of the end of the age or the last days so you and i are living in the last days that christ inaugurated with his life and with his death and with his resurrection and with his ascension and it happened just the way God wanted it to happen at just the time God wanted it to happen and he puts away sin he he, he judges sin he condemns sin he he removes it it's not just it's not just covered in right? the Old Covenant, it was, it was covered, and that's why it was every year they'd have to go back on the Day of Atonement and, and go through the process every single year. No, the blood of Christ has removed sin. It's done. It's over. It's been put away. And so Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elects? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul's saying it's, it's done. It's done. God's done it through his son, and that is the work of Christ on our behalf to put away sin. But then the author of Hebrews tells us in the last two verses that it gets, it gets better because this Jesus, he's coming back. He's returning. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin because he's already dealt with sin. Right? That was his first coming. Sin, sin, sin's dealt with, he's removed it and put away. When he comes again, right, he's going to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There will be a culmination of our salvation when Jesus comes back to bring us home, to bring us to our heavenly home, to bring us into the presence of the Father. We can be there because we've been purified by God. Christ. There's a reality here that the author speaks about in verse 27, right? Is that death is certain. You're going to die, it's unavoidable. And in fact, after you die, there's judgment. so, So your days, my days, are numbered. Right, but we have to remember that that death just isn't a natural process. Right, that death is right God's judgment against sin. So we live with this reality, and death reminds us of the should remind us of the, the reality of sin. Paul says in Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death. And so every person who has walked on this earth has a single life before judgment. And you notice the way that the author of Hebrews writes this, right? And just as it's a point for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Right, that there's, there's really no wiggle room there. There's really no idea or opportunity for after death for there to be a second chance to believe. Right? It's death and then it is judgment. And so he's telling people, you all stand right, with this certainty of death before you. And so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Right? If, again, if if Jesus had to, to die repeatedly, right, he, he would have to starting in Genesis chapter three, forwards. He would have to endure suffering and death time after time after time, without number, throughout the ages of all world history. For sin. But he offered once. He was appointed once. Now remember, Jesus became like his brothers. Right? He was like us in every respect. He dies once for the covering of our sin, because if he had to die repeatedly, he wouldn't be just like us, because we die once. When he dies, right, he he bore the sins of many. He took on the sins of of many, of, of those who would believe in him and who he is and what he accomplished for them and taking their sin and putting their sin away once and for all. Jesus took the burden that I deserve for my sin upon himself. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and he is your Lord and your Savior, that means that he took the burden of your sin that you deserve upon himself. It's an allusion, I believe, to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. Isaiah writes these words, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the work of Christ on on my behalf. This is the work of Christ on, on your behalf. And he's coming back. Right? He's, he's coming back. Why is he coming back? He's coming back not to deal with sin. He's dealt with my sin. Praise God, he's dealt with my sin, past, present, and future. And he took on himself what I deserve, that I may be purified and can one day enter into the presence of God and worship him for all of eternity. Jesus did that. And so he's coming back not to deal with sin, right, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. He's coming back to, to fulfill our salvation completely, right? Because there is this tension that we, we live in. There is this, this already not yet tension, that we live in. I, I am absolutely saved right now and I am held secure in the hands of Christ. He's paid for my sin. He's removed it. He's purified me. But he's coming again to bring it to its ultimate fulfillment and that is to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. And so I am saved but one day it's going to be fulfilled in just a glorious, glorious way in a, a way that just will boggle our minds. And so we close the service this morning singing, Glorious Day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Bury, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Are we eagerly waiting. Right? And that's, that's the question that we, we have to ponder this morning. If we understand what Christ has done for us, if we understand that he's, he's coming back, not to deal with sin because he's done that, it's finished, it's completed, he's removed it, but he's coming to complete our salvation and to bring us home to God the Father, Do we eagerly await for that? Because that is our hope. That is our only hope. So are we patient? Are we faithful? Are we enduring? And are we anticipating? That's what he's asking. That's what he's been asking the people, right? As he's been teaching them over the past nine chapters of the book of Hebrews, right? They're under tremendous pressure. They're seeing Right, people being killed for their faith. They're seeing persecution rise and trials and sufferings on the increase. And he's saying, Christ is your hope. He stands supreme. Christ is your hope. He stands supreme. He's coming back to get you. Are you eagerly waiting? Are you being patient? Are you being faithful? Are you enduring? Are you anticipating? Because he is coming. That's the only hope that you have. The opposite of hope is despair. And so if you're not eagerly anticipating, you're going to find yourself in despair. So as Christians, we, we have to we have to hold on to, 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 to the hope that we have in the gospel. That, that we're we're safe and that we're secure and and come what may, and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be painful potentially. We're held in the hands of Christ because he's coming back to complete our salvation and to bring us into the presence of God and he has purified us to be in his presence. So salvation has this, this past, present, and, and future dynamic to it, does it not? Right? We, we can look to the past and we can see the cross and what Christ has done for us on the cross. And in the the present, right, we can can have hope because we know that we're we're saved and we're we're held secure, that our sins have been put away because of Christ, not because of anything that we do or think we do, it's because of Christ, so we can live in the present, but then there's this future that we're going to be saved out of this broken world. And in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be in his presence. What 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 freedom that gives us, what hope that gives us, what peace that gives us. So do we eagerly wait with patient, faithful, enduring anticipation? Do we? I don't. Right? I grump. I I despair. Do we we rejoice in the past and what Christ has done for us and do we anticipate the future glories, the new heaven, a new and restored earth and eternity with God for all eternity? Because if we think about if you sit here for just fifteen seconds, what would you expect to see in the life of someone who was eagerly waiting for the return of Christ? What would you expect to see? Right? And maybe you're 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 writing down a mental list. I would expect to see this in this in someone who's who's eagerly waiting if they're being patient and faithful and enduring and anticipating, this is what would define that person. And then the second question is, right, do you see that in you? Right, do you see that in you? 1 Peter chapter 3, 15. Peter writes these words, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I believe it was John Piper who said, if nobody is asking you for a reason for the hope that is in you, that means they can't see it in you. And you look no different than the world's. And you're living in, in despair and hopelessness. Right? Our lives should look radically different because of what Christ has done for us. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us, Jesus, this new covenant is, is superior, is supreme, and, and Jesus stands supreme over all But and he is accomplishing things, things for you that you could never do for yourself. He has put away your sin. He's dealt with your sin. And he's coming back a second time to complete your salvation and to bring you into the presence of God because he's purified you to be in the presence of God. Eagerly wait for him. Patient, faithful, enduring anticipation. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, I'm thankful for your son, Jesus. Lord, and what he has accomplished for us. Lord, and I think if we're honest, Lord, we can get so swept up in this world. We can get so swept up in the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in. Lord, that we miss and we forget what Jesus has done for us. And we can look no different than the world. And we can despair and we can fret and we can worry. Lord, but you have reminded us this morning of your goodness and your grace and your love and your Son, whom you sent to this earth to pay our sin debt. He bore the sin, he bore the consequences of that sin, the burden of that sin upon himself. And he's put away our sin There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And one day, he's coming back. He's returning to bring us home because he's dealt with our sin. And he's coming to bring us home. And what a glorious, glorious day that will be. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damascata, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.